Hello and welcome to Series 2 of Spotlight on Financial Services Tax Series. We'll be recording a number of podcasts over the next few months for Series 2, covering a wide range of topics relevant to financial institutions across the Middle East. My name is Bilal Abba and today I'm joined by my colleague Peter Mabry. We'll be covering the base erosion and profit shifting, BEPS, 2.0 OECD project proposed changes a topical subject for many financial institutions at the moment. So let's get into this topic. First question, um, the BEPS 2.0 proposed changes are probably the most significant changes we have seen in the tax landscape in recent times. The rules propose two reforms, Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. Peter, would you be able to give us a high-level overview of the two pillars? Sure, Bilal. Thank you. Um, Just to emphasise the point you opened up with, which these are probably the most fundamental reforms to the international tax system I've seen in my career, and I have to admit that's fairly long so far, so they are pretty important. So let's start with Pillar 1. So what Pillar 1 does is it actually attempts um, to, uh, it really looks at the transfer pricing rules for multinational enterprises and seeks to allocate some of the, if you like, the global pie of profits to specifically um, uh, market locations where the consumers or markets are based on certain bases. And indeed, they actually look to do this. The uh, percentage of profits to be reallocated is 25% of the cake in excess, where the profitability is in excess of 10% of revenue. Perhaps the most important thing to say immediately is that this only applies to groups, at least for the time being, with a turnover in excess of 20 billion euros. So that's a very big number. So they're going to apply to a relatively small number of very large multinationals. The other point about this is that it uh, there is an exemption from um, uh, 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 one of the specific amounts under kind of pillar one, uh, and that is there's an exemption for extractive industries, you know, oil and gas and so on, and also regulated financial services. So Given uh, uh, this discussion is um, for the benefit of financial services, um, uh, this may not be the most important of the two pillars, if you will. However, one thing I'd always say with exemptions is there's always a, a, a delineation or a barrier around the exemption. And the question is, some activities, even if you're a regulated bank, you're probably going to find there are some things you do um, which aren't classified as regulated activity. And so you might be sucked in in in, in in part in relation to that. Um, But I think the biggest get out to this will be the very high threshold. So it may be a large number of groups um, uh, don't meet that. Perhaps, therefore, the more important one is Pillar 2. So uh, Pillar 2 may be summed up by saying it's a a global minimum tax. uh, And with a current proposed rate of 15%, um, based broadly on um, uh, accounting profits under GAAP. I think that um, uh, this one, though, applies where turnover is more than 750 million euros, so a much, much lower threshold. And uh, uh, the way it's structured um, is it allows headquartered jurisdictions the option to apply rules to their overseas operations with an option to apply to their domestic activity as well, but not a compulsion. So it it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, covered, the domestic activity. It's probably worth saying as well that the the way the rules actually work is quite complex. There's there's a a number of different rules, subject to tax rule, income inclusion rule, and so on, which we won't have time to go through the detail of here. But one should not underestimate the complexity with which the mechanics of these operate. The other thing probably to say, 
um, particularly here in the Middle East region, there are some exemptions. There's a sovereign exemption. There's exemption for pension funds and investment funds uh, that are ultimate parent entities uh, and certain holding vehicles that they have. And actually within the region, probably it's going to be important again to look at the delineation, what things fall into say the sovereign exemption and what things the trading subsidiaries where that exemption doesn't apply. There's probably also a number of kind of, if you like, local carve-outs to the rules as well, which will add, add a little bit to the complexity. But certainly for financial services institutions in the region, I, I certainly think it's this pillar two that is perhaps the most urgent and will have the greatest impact. Thanks, Peter. And uh, I think uh, just on just on kind of pillar one, you mentioned a, a carve-out or an exclusion for, for kind of regulated financial services. Um, on that basis, can financial institutions assume they're, they're exempt under, under Pillar 1? Or, um, or, or are we saying there should be more of an assessment? Yeah, um, I think... Uh, yeah, to your point, I think I think they do need uh, that both the um, uh, the turnover number, um, and particularly in financial services and banking, the definition of turnover um, is always a little bit more complex uh, uh, anyway. So either if you think you fall out because you're below that turnover threshold, or you fall out because you're a regulated financial institution, um, a bit of work is required to assess that. I wouldn't just assume it immediately. Yeah, great point. And I think the, the the next point we did want to cover was was just around timelines. I mean, many of those listening to this podcast would be interested to hear about timelines. I mean, these are major changes. Um, so do we have an idea of the timelines involved and a bit more about what businesses should be doing next? Yeah, sure. So um, it's probably fair to say that the OECD who are driving this, and remember they're sponsored by the G20, so this has got some serious um, political weight and momentum behind it, is extremely ambitious. Um, the OECD have said they um, essentially want the provisions to be um, uh, uh, brought into law in 2022, this year, and become effective in 2023. Now, personally, I think that is extremely ambitious. I mean, there's a lot of work to do. We, we have an outline that we, uh, uh, high-level rules at the moment, but we don't have sort of detailed guidance. Uh, and so to actually local countries to push all this into law over the next 12 months, I think will be challenging. Uh, and yeah, I think there are indications that 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 there is kind of some acceptance that uh, of that, and so maybe maybe the deadline may end up slipping a little. Um, but certainly the target is um, for effectiveness in 2023 at the moment. So you know clearly businesses need to start looking at these and really looking at it now. And when I say you know what what do businesses need to do? I mean the most obvious first point is is an assessment of what the impact is going to be. Um, so there's the obvious, if you like, impact assessment on how much tax, extra tax might you pay and where might you pay it. Um, now that's obviously clearly pretty important. But there are a bunch of ancillary issues as well, like um, what systems and processes do you need to gather the data to um, uh, comply? What resources do you need? And are, are they in the right place? Do you need training um, for the people who are going to do it? The uh, um, uh, What might the impact be on your kind of reporting? I think one of the things that's driving this is some for listed groups, um, investors may be asking questions about what is the impact on sort of discounted cash flows going forwards likely to be. Uh, and that's certainly relevant in a, like an M&A or a deals type situation uh, where that'll be important. So uh, I think, yes, absolutely assess the impact, but but there's several level, layers to that assessment. Uh, and actually, the final thing, sorry, I'd say on the assessment is it's important to draw these perimeters um, around some of the exemptions, because again, in the region, as I said before, 
maybe the sovereign exemption will apply to certain entities and not others, and assessing which is which will be quite important. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Great kind of insights. And, and I mean, maybe just thinking about where we are now, there's been a lot of anticipation around the BEPS 2.0 changes. Um, in December 2021, we now have a clearer outline of the model rules. Um, and in anticipation of that developing, um, we do expect at some time in 2022, there will be a commentary and a detailed implementation framework. So a lot more detail to come this year. But what is clear at the moment is, is how complex the rules will be and how difficult they're going to be to comply with. To give an example, um, there are pages and pages of newly defined terms uh, demonstrating the novelty of the rules, particularly around the calculation of things like the tax base derived from financial accounting numbers. Furthermore, I think the jurisdictional and entity level um, calculations might not be as straightforward as people think they are. Um, and many IT systems, uh, ERP systems, and, and, and technology uh, that businesses have are perhaps not configured uh, at present to collect data in the manner described in the model rules. So clearly a, a significant digital and, and IT challenge. Um, but I think overall, I mean, the, the, the messaging is, is that companies are urged to, to address how they can organize themselves um, for these new changes, bearing in mind, of course, um, that further clarity may only come with the implementation framework, um, which is due uh, mid-2022. And then also further exercises, assessments, and, and modeling um, around what that might look like uh, will also be pivotal. And maybe actually, Bill, could I just, uh, I know we uh, are going to wrap up. Um, one final point I would um, add is that I do think the, these are particularly relevant to financial services groups within the Middle East region, and that's for several reasons. Firstly, financial services groups tend to be the largest players uh, in, in most economies, uh, and that includes in, in the region here. Uh, and therefore, their profitability tends to be you know, higher, uh, uh, and therefore, the impact of these rules, which taxes profits, um, uh, potentially is greater. And then the second thing, obviously, within the region, we have several jurisdictions which are either zero tax or low tax. Um, and indeed, if we take um, you know, certain jurisdictions like the Kingdom, for example, King KSA, uh, where we have a zakat uh, uh, regime, um, uh, uh, taxing on a different basis from uh, sort of accounting profits, um, there's uh, um, a bit of work to do to see whether um, uh, what the impact will be of the new rules um, in, a, for example, a zakat payer. So, um, you know, I think for those reasons, I think the impact is likely to be disproportionately significant to our regional financial services institutions. Yeah, great point. Well, thank you very much, Peter, uh, for, for your insights. In incredibly helpful, um, particularly on, on, on financial services. Um, that's all we have time for for this podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Please do tune into our next podcast where we will be speaking about VAT considerations for financial services and e-invoicing. Thank you. Thank you.